Today my guest is Arvi Raghu, the visionary filmmaker behind the new film Cerebrum. To make ends meet, Tom signs on as a guinea pig at a home-based lab. But when he commits a crime he cannot remember, he must risk his own sanity to reveal the truth. Cerebrum looks at what could happen if our memories were digitized as backups and used to restore them if they ever fail. But more importantly, the film is about a broken relationship between a father and a son and how they find a common cause to come together to understand and love each other. Cerebrum will be available on demand May 4th. If you'd like to purchase a Following Films t-shirt, coffee mug, or sticker, go to followingfilms.com uh, following for the details. And another way you can show support for the show is by leaving us a review. I have left a link to the Following Films uh, Apple Podcasts site where you can find us. I guess the reviews that are left there seem to carry more weight, so it'd be really helpful if you could stop by and leave us a review. I also want to thank Fort Worth for letting us use the song at the end of the show, and special thanks to Bookman's for sponsoring it. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for taking time out of it. <laughs> There's my son. So I uh, the, the timing of this right now, my wife is about to walk in the door right now, so the dogs could go nuts any second, and my kids are all over the place. So it'll it'll level out in about two or three minutes, but it's just uh, I wasn't thinking. No worries. What time zone are you are you in? Uh, I'm in Arizona, so right now we don't change. Uh, okay. So it's actually it's uh, we're on Pacific time right now. So technically, so it's three o'clock. Yeah, uh, it's two o'clock right now. Right? Is it in California? It's I have two no o'clock. Idea. Yes, it's two o'clock. Oh yes. no, they're an hour behind us right now. That's right. Okay. So yeah, whatever. I always okay. lose it. Where are you at, man? I'm I'm from Houston. Oh really? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So did you sh- did you shoot this in Texas then, or where did you shoot the film? Uh, no, the, the film is supposed to happen in Texas, but we shot in uh, LA, east of LA. Okay, okay, very cool. So where did the idea for this film come from? I guess I first thing I should probably ask is everything okay with you and your dad, uh, considering you wrote this and the first. <laughs> There was a lot uh, in the film that I related to. So no, no, uh, I, I'm I'm very close to my I'm very close to my dad, and in fact, he is the he's my biggest fan, right? Like even more than my mom, he is my biggest fan. Um, no, so everything is good there. <laughs> good, good. Um, it's there's a there's the thing I love about this film. My favorite kind of science fiction um, are ones that are based in character the ones that are just two people in a room and it happens to be about time travel or something along those lines where it's not something, I think a lot of times the interesting philosophical side of a lot of sci-fi gets lost in the special effects and your film is deeply, deeply rooted in the humanity and the idea of memory and uh, the fracturing of relationships and kind of what memory does to that. And I think it's really, I, I'm sure that you probably could have, you may have wanted more money for this to make it, but I honestly feel like this is executed really well because of the limitations around it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. And um, uh, th- that was the thing, right? Like when I got into making this, one of the things I set out myself was I'm not going to make this like a CGA glorified. Here's a cool looking movie. And I know with the budget, I'm not going to be able to pull that off. Right. Like, you know, why would somebody spend like $12, $15 renting it or watching it on a theater for a mediocre looking CGI if they can <laughs> spend the same money, go watch a Marvel movie or something where they have fantastic CGI, right? So there's no point saying like, I want to make movie 
to show off my CGA skills and non-existent CGA skills. <laughs> so, so, so the decision was definitely made like at the script level to say like, Hey, you know, not crazy CGAs, minimal CGA as possible. If, if not no CGA at all. And that kind of percolated into a lot of other decisions that was made as like, you know, doesn't have to be like an urban looking lab where everybody wears like white turtleneck kind of thing. So he said like, okay, let's just like stay away from those things. Uh, so that's that's where it came from. But for to answer your first question, where did the movie come from? And it's it's one of those things. I, I, it it sounds cliche, but it's it all came from Amazon. Like you know, I'm I'm trying to order something on Amazon, and it already says like here are the things you might like, and those are the things I like. I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool. So you know, looking at it and being a being a computer scientist myself, it was it made me think as like, okay, where where can the AI or go? If they can predict everything that you can do at that level, can they take it further? Like, you know, my, my, my thought process at the time was like, what if I'm dead tomorrow, but Amazon could still send my family the same gift I would buy, right? It was, it was simply that, that thought as in like, you know, can my memory or my, my creations persist after I am dead? So it kind of became evolved from there as like, okay, what if you could copy, start copying memories because you got you got photos, bank accounts, your personal likings, and everything online in a digitized form. Can you form a, a personality based on all that, and can that personality live forever? So it kind of started from there, and then I said, like, okay, you need a little bit more than that for the story. And then initially, I just had like uh, the first draft was a very in on your nose, just sci-fi, sci-fi, sci-fi. Everybody talks sci-fi. Everybody's doing exposition. It's just go, 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 go. And then slowly it had to be peeled off and add more layers with the, you know, the father and son coming together, which which I felt when it came together was like pretty poignant because they come together after the dad is not there anymore, right? So not giving away too much here, but th- that was kind of like what made it more appealing to me as a fan itself. So, And I think that's the, the real, I guess, special effect of the film. I, are these performances again, not to give anything away, but your characters here, they have to, <laughs> there's a lot of um, dual and beyond things that they have to do where it's um, really, there's pretty much no character in here that if you put the wrong person who couldn't pull off multiple, uh, you know, ideas at once, then it might, it really wouldn't work. So the casting had to be pretty tough here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we, we were very fortunate. We got Christian on this, right? Like, you know, uh, initially, I, I was I was kind of worried because my my perception of the character was supposed to be more like you know a thin build, more frail, more timid kind of guy. But when Christian was there, I was like, okay, this guy looks like a football dude. Is he gonna like fit in this character? Is what I was thinking. Um, but but he immediately showed interest, and even the first time we met, like he came up with so many questions. I was like, hey, how do you envision this scene going? Like, how am I supposed to perform this? Uh, he had a lot of questions, and I knew he had the interest. So I, as soon as I knew he had the interest, he's going to bring the talent right behind with it. Uh, he he nailed it. He nailed it, and and as you would see in the movie, like he is there every frame of the movie almost. Uh, and and it's and the the thing is like he carried it well you don't get bored by just watching him he goes through so much emotion so many different layers within his characters um and he you know it's a pleasure to watch him on this yeah i I completely agree and it's um that's the 
the real magic trick here. It's the, um, and it's funny that you backed into the father son relationship. That's not where it started because that's really the center of this film. That's what this is about. It's the, the sci-fi element of it, the fantastical element, the thing that'll get people in the door um, is the idea of these memories being backed up, but really that's the secondary, you could remove that and still have a good yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if you, if you just walk away with the concept of like, oh, it's a cool idea, that's not going to last longer because there's so many, like you can, you can yeah. go to Netflix and turn on uh, all the sci-fi shows they have. They got very cool concept, amazing concept, uh, but you want to walk away with like, you know, how this guy hates his dad at the beginning of the movie and ends up becoming almost his dad at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's, um, and I think that's, that kind of goes with the, idea of memories and what they mean to us and your the original concept that you're saying this idea that are kim could we be recreated through ai is it just our memories are we more than that and i i, I love that idea of kind of playing with that because we're you know it's a kind of a cliche thing that people say you are your memories that idea without your memories you don't know who you are but there are things that happened innate within us that are muscle memory you know, you don't spend most of your day inside your memories. You pick up patterns and behaviors that are based on those memories. Um, and what happened, and that's what's so fascinating about this film, it's what happens if you take those memories and it heads off on its own deviant path and it's combined with these other elements. And I think that's a really smart playground. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there are so much to play with it, right? Like, uh, I know that's one of the... Uh, reactions to doing that um, in, a, in the movie. Like if you take somebody else's memory and put it on yourself or your memory on somebody else, uh, your memory is so in tune with your physique, right? Like, you know, it knows mm -hmm. your hand. It knows like, you know, how the movements are. When your memory doesn't get to serve that physique, it's going to have issues. It's going to feel like, you know, uh, I, think, I think the line in the movie is, it's like a homing pigeon finding its home. Like if your memory is not... <laughs> where yeah. it needs to be, it's going to try and find its body back. And so when you're making a film like this and you're, you get through the casting process, you're doing all this and you're, what's the thing that you're kind of hanging your hat on? What's the idea? Is it the sound mix on it, which was great here also? Is it the cinematography, which is really strong as well as performance? What's the thing you're saying? If I have to get this one thing right, because it's when you're making small budget films like this, you have to, you can't have everything, so you have to make choices in that way. Uh, yeah, so, so I mean, obviously, we started with the limited choice. One of, one of the things that I really wanted is is the look and feel, right? Like that that was that was really important for me to make it look different. Uh, didn't want to make it look like bluish green or the bluish gray sci-fi look. Uh, wanted to have like a totally separate like color palette to it, like all the browns and the yellows and more rustic style. Uh, so that, that was definitely a thing thing that uh, that I wanted to have. The other one was the score, right? So the the, the score I, I I knew going into it, it's going to be complicated because of the fact there is a kind of like the country rustic elements to it, but also the sci-fi elements to it. Um, but it was a good find. I I, I got Edward Antonia as, as a as a music composer because he was able to pull that off. You know, we, we spent a lot of time. We spent a lot of time like, eh, that looks too sci-fi. No, that's too much guitar and that's too country. So it's about finding the balance of the sci-fi and country was was there. So that was also very important for me to like capture the essence, both uh, the look of it, but also what feeling you get from the music score. 
Well, and it's something that puts you, um, it, it's not off-putting, but it takes you off balance because there's certain, there's visual tropes there that we have in sci-fi that you're used to seeing. And when you have this, you know, science being done in a barn, it has that Frankenstein feel to it where something's a little bit off and, but it's not in a mad scientist kind of way. It's somebody who's pulled into this actually out of respect for science, out of respect for not wanting the work to be corrupted um, doing that. And it's something that's really relatable in that way with finding the passion in your life. I think that anybody that has any artistic endeavor or really anything in life that you could, you were saying yourself, uh, self that you're, you know, computer science background, there's work that you do there that, you know, even if you go to Google, one of their things used to be, don't be evil. And for some reason they took that out of their list of commands, which is a little bit scary, but you know, it's, it's that idea of this, your work having a greater meaning. And I think that that's um, something that most people can relate to in a way that you really can't normally get your, I relate to this much closer than I do something like a Terminator film. Well, okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. That's, that is what I wanted to as a, as a takeaway as, you know, it's, it's a passion for science. It's a passion for what he wanted to do is what's what's driving him. And, and it's not just, he's just a scientist, right? Like it's, there is a reason for why he is doing what he is doing that, that pushes him. Uh, yeah. And then also like, you know, his son realizing why his dad was doing what he was doing, right? That, that was, that was the key there. Um, yeah. But uh, it's the, the thing that I, I, I kind of, not regret is like there is a lot of layers in this movie right like there is too many layers that kind of like left off on the wayside because it's a it's a supposed to be a two-hour film um so there are things like why is he in the barn there is a story behind it why is he why is he end up there uh why did he set up the lab and and the whole the home video sequence is like what was he trying to do with the home video sequence and also all the images that you will see in the dream sequence of the memory changing sequence, each one of those images has a meaning to it or like why it's coming in as memory. Uh, my, my hope is like people pick up on it. Well, even if they, uh, and I think that's something that this film will lend itself to review and to go back and pick up those little details. But even if they don't pick up on it, even if an audience doesn't know what the exact purpose is, I think we can feel purpose. There's something that happens on a subconscious level when we know that it's authentic, that there's a story behind it, even though we might not have insight to that, you can feel the purpose behind it. And I, and I think that's yeah. the case here. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And, and, and that's the hope as well. And uh, the, the interesting tidbit here is my, my co-writer, Gary, he is actually writing a novel based on this. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happened was he was, uh, he got like a literary agent and he was pitching one of his different ideas and he said like, Oh, look at this. And that guy was like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Whatnot. And then Gary was like, Oh, I, you know, I helped my friend make this film. Like this is the story. And that guy was like, you should write a book about this guy thing. So Gary is in now is a third revision of the novel. Cerebrum, you know, hopefully what? it gets printed out and, that's crazy. So is he going to flesh out those ideas that you were talking about then? That'll be so, kind so, of a compendium. So, yeah. So, so once in a, once, once a week we, we will sit together and he's like, Hey, you had this in what, what was the idea behind it? And I will tell him this is a backstory. Unfortunately, the movie wasn't there. I couldn't do it. Um, and so he was like, Oh, cool. I'm going to put that in the book and he will start writing those things. So. <laughs> Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I was still in the mood 
to think about films uh, that have been nominated this year for Oscars. And so I started thinking about getting a book that was something about a film maybe that had been nominated in the past. And I came across The Disaster Artist, which the book uh, version of it, James Franco made a film of it, a film adaptation with his brother, uh, Dave. I think it was in 2017. And that film was nominated for a couple Oscars, I believe. And I'd never read the book. I saw the movie The Room that this is based on, but I never saw the book that this film was based on. So I decided I wanted to go back and read this. And damn, I'm really glad I did. Uh, because it's such an easy, entertaining, fun read. Um, I read it in the course of about two days, and it's really kind of interesting to spend this much time in the world of the room. Because if you've seen The Disaster Artist, or you've seen the film itself, um, you know that it's one of the worst films ever made, or at least that's the general perception of it. There are people that genuinely enjoy this movie, um, I'm not sure if anyone enjoys it without some ironic disposition, um, but if you ever have a chance to watch this film when they start screening things in person again um, with an audience, you can't help but laugh. It's a fun time watching this movie with a crowd. It's such a bizarre, clueless film that you've never seen anything like it. Uh, the dialogue doesn't make any sense. It's some of the shots are put together in a way that just it, it defies any logic that you've seen before. And the, it honestly makes the Ed Wood films look competent in comparison. So it's definitely something worth checking out. And if you haven't seen The Disaster Artist, the James Franco film, it's fantastic as well. Um, but this book that uh, Greg Sestero wrote about the making of it, about his relationship with Tommy Wiseau, um, and kind of the mystery surrounding him, how old he is, uh, where did he get all the money to self-finance this $6 million disaster uh, that was The Room. It's a, just a fascinating read, and it's honestly, it's one of the better books I've read so far this year. I just had a great time with it, and it's something that'll definitely be staying, uh, staying on my shelf for years to come, because this is one that I'm sure I'm going to want to revisit. And that's one of the great things about going to Bookman's, because every time I go in there, there's always something like this on one of the shelves, something that I haven't read before, something that I haven't seen before, something that I maybe didn't even know that I needed or wanted. Um, keep in mind, Bookmans, they always have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks. So is that something you had you thought about the possibility of doing it as a series if there was that much material that you wanted to explore? Or did it just... There's- there's definitely a lot of material to be explored, but it wasn't it wasn't an idea when I started the movie. It was never like, okay, I want to like make this a series or a longer something. But when I finished the film, I I did have that little little disappointment in myself, like, oh, I didn't get to tell everything I wanted to tell in this movie. But since he's writing it, we got the opportunity, like, hey, <laughs> here's everything that you need for your backstory. Go ahead and start writing these things. I think that that's usually a good sign, though, if you're feeling like you left something on the table. That, that means you're being critical and you're not like, you, you're not, you just don't look at it and you say, yep, nailed it and just move on. It's, I think there's not a director that I've ever met that's like, that wouldn't at least change something about the film. So even, even if you, after going through 200 times of editing the movie, that is something that just bugs you sitting there like, oh, I want to do that different. It, it's never going to end. Yeah. And it, well, in the editing process, I don't know how you keep a, 
clean vision of what the film actually means to an audience member because you can't divorce yourself from what you already know about the film. And it's hard to know what the audience will be picking up at this point without showing it to a naked viewer that has no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very true. And, and so far, like the naked viewers who have seen it, uh, are, you know, they've, they've given pre- pretty, pretty good reviews on it or like pretty good takeaways of like what, what they have seen. Uh, but unfortunately I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that, right? Like, you know, with, with so many, yeah, I, I think I had like a rough estimate at some point. It's close to like 200 times of watching the movie end to end during the editing process. So it's, even though it's your baby, yeah, you just, you just see all the ugly marks on your baby, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's the, um, not that long ago uh, during the pandemic, I started, uh, I read, reread Don Quixote. In the beginning of it, I'm not sure if you've read it, he has that whole bit where he talks about this is his bastard child. This is the ugly baby that it's imperfect, but he loves it and he's going to put it out into the world anyway. And that's one of the, arguably greatest novels ever written. And so even Cervantes looked back at it with that kind of critical eye. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I've read it before, but I don't, I don't remember this prologue, but okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing to know. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, I think that that's good. If you're, if there's an amount you need, it's this weird combination of where you need to be self-assured enough to be confident that this is a story worth telling that people will be interested in, but you have to have enough humility to know that it's imperfect and it's okay that it's imperfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you, you can you can make it make it perfect all all the time. It's it's about I, I enjoy the process, right? It's not just always about the end product as well. It's also sometimes about the journey you have taken from where you started, where you ended. So, uh, as much as I love the movie, I also love the experience I got through this, like the people that I met and the people that I worked with. It's uh yeah, and it, do you think these will be people that you will work with again? Because it feels like you had a really good ensemble here uh, yeah, from the yeah. top down. It was everyone really clicked in this film. No, no, absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely. Like at, at least at least eighty percent of them, I, I would go back and work. If not all the hundred percent, there's, uh, but but they were all fantastic people. Like you know, there were times where uh, the shooting was hard. We had to shoot at like 30 degree temperature in the barn where there was no air conditioning or a heater. So it's like 32 degrees inside the barn and you're shooting for six hours a day. So your toe is numb, your fingers are numb. Uh, but these these people pulled through. They, they they did not complain. They had their hats on and gloves on and whatnot they needed, but they just came in every day and, and made it happen. I think that's the kind of thing that you can feel when you watch a film that everyone is pulling together like that and that they're, it's not perfect conditions. They don't, they don't feel comfortable, but they feel like they're, they're committed, which I think that does show through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, specifically there's um, an actor I've never seen before. It was uh, and there was interplay with Bruno and Tom. It was the interplay between those two. I, I could have watched like an entire film of just, I was, when they the way that they interacted with each other, I they were brilliant together, and I wanted to see more screen time with those two. Uh, so, so are you talking about the fireplace scene, like the fire pit scene where they're like sitting yep. outside? Yeah, yeah. So, so th- there was more. We we actually shot a lot more of the scene where there was like more. They're like more playful. They're they are talking about more things and all that. But eventually, it 
ended up on the cutting floor like you know at some point we said like yeah we need to kind of like okay like it's a cool looking scene at this point but we need to get to the point and move on to the next scene kind of thing so uh, they and ended up cutting a lot of those but yeah they, they were phenomenal together they 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 had a good uh, good chemistry if you may uh play, playing at each other and they did a good job and and the funny part of that scene is we only had about five takes we had one master two setups two two takes on two sides of the setups and and we were done because oh wow that was yeah that was one of the last scenes we shot on the last day of the filming so we were like yeah there's not a whole lot of time left so let's <laughs> let's keep going man <laughs> get in and out and well and especially when i when i watch scenes like that and one of the reasons that's one of that just really clicked with me because it's really it's serving a expository purpose you're finding a flaw is the purpose of that scene and it doesn't feel like that it's only in hindsight that you can see that for what it actually was the way that it was servicing the plot but it actually completely doesn't it doesn't feel that way and most of the time especially in genre films you can feel kind of the the strings of the puppet master in the background but it doesn't come across that way okay that yeah that's i'm 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 glad to hear that because the, the first first round of the script all my exposition wasn't one scene it was all <laughs> laid out there it's just a guy standing there and like going like If you, think, if you do this it's going to happen if you don't do this it's going to happen then i read it i'm like okay that's like 10 pages of this guy just like talking this is people are just going to like you know start like falling asleep or walking <laughs> walking out so so we had to go and say like okay there are certain scenes there are certain things he doesn't have to explain like you know you go to school nobody explains everything that's going to happen to you in the school yep. like on day one right you get like the important points Three days later, when you get into something, they're like, "Okay, by the way, this is what's going to happen." So that's what happened of peeling off all the expo- expository things and just like, you know, weaving it within the story. And it's that it, I love that process of shaping something like that, where you have this kind of idea of here's all the points I need to get to. Well, actually, fifty percent of them don't matter because the audience mm-hmm. can either figure it out or they'll just. they won't care they'll go along with it anyway and our sometimes the things that we build up in our minds when you're on the creative side um they feel so important and necessary but then all you do is you take it out and you go oh no it absolutely works without it it's just yeah. the, the, my justification for that isn't necessary so if that if that makes sense yeah no 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 actually that's true right like you you need to take out you need to look at it from the feelings perspective of the movie right like you know yep. as much as you want to show the school science fiction movie but like how does it affect the audience what does they how do they connect to the you know uh, to the character so the science at the point doesn't matter you know like is is it a plausible science is it a possible science like is can it happen really does not matter to the audience at some point as like hey i like this character i like this you know what's what's happening well you risk if you plant your flag to <laughs> too deep in the side of this is absolute science i mean all you have to do is start googling things and your mind's going to be distracted because it's going to say oh well this is based on these three principles you go well no i'm kind of familiar with one of those and i that doesn't sound right to me now i'm going to look in and you're not if you dumb it down kind of the, the, the yeah. slinky scene you're dumb that's all we need and we're good we get it if you just you know pick up an object in the room and talk to the dumbest person in the room me and we'll be fine And so yeah, I'm glad that you had that approach to it. So oh, Okay, yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not glad on... the, the the slinky made an impact there. So. <laughs> cool. Well, 
So the movie is, um, it's going to be available pretty much all VOD platforms early May. Is that correct? That is correct. It's it's coming out May 4th. Uh, I know there's going to be a pun coming there. Uh, May 4th be with you. Uh, so we, we're not... <laughs> I'll tell you, we're not trying to go against Star Wars or Disney here. So it's, that, that was not the intent. It just happened such that the U.S. Uh, catalog for all the streaming services refreshes on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. May yep. 4th happens to be a Tuesday and, you know, happens to be the day. But, but that's okay. Like, you know, it's a science fiction film. May 4th comes out. It's, it's perfectly fine for us. Uh, so it's it's coming out on um, uh, DirecTV and Dish Network On Demand. Uh, it's going to be Amazon Direct, not Amazon Prime, but, you know, in Amazon, you can go and rent it. And then it's it's also coming out on Vudu. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then uh, Walmart DVDs. So, so you got a physical release. Did you do 201 views to do a commentary track or anything like that or just no no i did no i i, I did not i did not do that at all but uh the the distributors came back and said like hey we, we have an opportunity to put dvds out on walmart uh i don't know which walmart's it's coming out but it's going to be out there somewhere so if anyone sees a cerebrum dvd somewhere send me a picture i would like to see it <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I'm one of those uh, people that still actually buys physical media. I I feel like an old man at this point because I don't have faith that the streaming service will carry the thing that I bought in 10 years from now. So, um, I mean, we've seen that already three times over with Ultraviolet and all these other things where you purchase them. So a physical copy is not a bad thing. So if you're just renting it, no, no problem. But if you're actually wanting to own it, um, I don't know if I'm going to even have a thing that will play this in 10 years. You, you, you may never know, like 50 years from now, like when you have grandkids, you can call your grandkid and say like, hey, kid, do you want to see this DVD? Like your your grandpa would have played you like a vinyl player, right? Like, so it's it's like that. You take the DVD and put it on and it starts spinning and people are like, oh, the movie is in there. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, it's, um, I you met the uh, five-year-old when he ran in here before and um, he, when he saw, uh, the computer when I started working from home and Mm -hmm. I brought in my laptop and I have the dual monitor set up. The first thing he did was he looked over at the screen and he started trying to swipe it. So, I mean, in his mind, he's never seen a computer screen that you don't swipe. So that's just, that's how you do it. Wow. Yeah. I know things that things are changing so fast. So, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so it it is coming in us on May 4th and, uh, we are anticipating a UK release, hopefully in June. They're still like finalizing the platform there. And then I know it's, it's going to come out in Taiwan too. Wonderful. And this is something that I do highly recommend. Um, this is actually, it's a really smart adult science fiction movie. There's not a lot of sci-fi. I love sci-fi, but there's not a lot that I could sit down with my wife and watch because her, it, she, if it takes place in space, she has no interest in it. She's like, I <laughs> no, don't, don't want to do it. No interest. Don't, don't move on something else. This is the kind of film I, I could feel like I could sit down with her and watch because this is something that I think it is so deeply rooted in the humanity of the story as opposed to the um, the MacGuffin. You know, it's the it's just that's the little aspect of it. So this is you've done something really smart and really entertaining. And I'm hoping that there's going to be another one coming down the pike because uh, I'm a fan. I want to see whatever you have coming up next, man. Well, yeah, th- th- thank you for that. And um I mean, obviously, like, you know, there, there is always the, the Cerebrum prequel, sequel kind of thing that, that always has the idea. So since we have the, the characters, the science behind it all established, we, we could go for that. But I, I am currently working on a, a, a time travel science fiction, which is also 
rooted on some kind of like you know the heartwarming story so hopefully uh i get to make that i i hope so too because i honestly i haven't seen a time travel movie that is kind of that based like that as since there was one from the nineties called happy accidents. I don't know if you've seen that or not, no, no, but it's, no. it's essentially three people in a room talking about the concept of time travel. And it's as powerful as any other film like that. In fact, I would say it's one of the ones that's actually sort of about the idea of what it means to have regret and the motivations for time travel, as opposed to something like back to the future, which is just about fun you know, DeLoreans and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I dig that stuff too, but it's not something that I spend time thinking about once I walk out of the okay. theater. And I think that you're playing in that area. So thank you for making thoughtful adult movies. We need more of them. So oh, thanks, man. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome. All right. Well, take care, man. Thank you for taking time out of, do, out of the day to do this. I really do appreciate it. And yeah, best of luck. I, I know, I yeah. know this is going to find an audience and connect because um, I see a lot of movies and there's not many that come out that are honestly, that are this high quality. So you're going to, well, yeah, I appreciate more. the thing. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. And hopefully, you know, we'll talk soon. I hope so too. All right. Take All care. Right, thanks, Chris. Bye. Uh-huh, bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
always crack.